Shared parenting does make it easy. I'm your host, Chris Batchelor, and this is the Parent Time Podcast. Parent Time Podcast is presented by National Parents Organization, a national nonprofit who is working hard to bring shared parenting nationwide. Today we have Dr. John Hamill, who has a master's in social welfare from UCLA and is currently a research fellow at the University of Central Lancaster in the United Kingdom. He's in the psychology department where he obtained his Ph.D. He's worked with family violence perpetrators and victims since 1992 and is a court-approved provider of batterer intervention and parent programs in the five greater San Francisco Bay Area counties. He's also the author and co-author of several books including Gender-Inclusive Treatment of Intimate Partner Abuse 2nd Edition Evidence-Based Approaches. He has done dozens of research articles published in various scholarly articles and is editor-in-chief of Partner Abuse, a journal published quarterly by Springer Publishing. Today we talked with Dr. John Hamill about domestic violence and shared parenting. With that, here's my interview with Dr. John Hamill. I supervise anger management and domestic violence programs for people that have been either convicted of domestic violence or... um, accused of domestic violence and referred through the family court. Uh, and over the years, um, having had a, you know, hundreds of um, almost exclusively male clients referred to me from the family court for domestic violence offenses, it occurred to me that um, a lot of these people that referred to me really were either not dangerous at all to their children, the, exact, the, uh, the, the accusations were exaggerated, and or um, they were married to women that were just as violent or more so than they were. Okay. How did I, I know this? It's not just wasn't just based on my interviews with these men, uh, because clients can be self-serving, of course. I actually, in, in the first several years back in the '90s, when I was interviewing family court clients, uh, I, I also insisted on 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 meeting with the women. Mm-hmm. So back in the uh, uh, late 1990s in in Contra Costa. County, California, which is uh, on the other side of Alameda County, where Berkeley and Oakland are located, um, you know, white working class area. Uh, I, I, over a period of a couple of years, um, I interviewed about 40 or 50 pairs of, uh, of parents. Yes, I met with them separately because they were going through divorce, where the woman alleged that uh, the, the husband was violent and was seeking custody. And uh, what, I, what I found was, and this is what the women told me, this is what the mothers told me. What they told me was uh, uh, that they too were, you know, aggressive at times. They too were hitting their husbands. They, in many occasions, were hitting their children. Wow. So, and so I, 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 uh, I talked about that, my findings, I talked about my findings to a uh, local community Domestic Violence Council, for better, for lack of a better term. Most counties in the United States, large counties, have a, some kind of a citizens council mm-hmm. that's supposed to address problems of domestic violence and family violence. And when I presented my findings, all hell broke loose. And I mean all hell broke loose. Like the, uh, most of these uh, county organizations are, are uh, headed by the local batter women's shelter. And then a lot, a, lot, a lot of law enforcement people attend those things and you know, dignitaries from, you know, the mayor's office and uh, mental health professionals and so forth. But 
there was a strong uh, reaction to what I had to say, which, and I knew right then that there's a real serious problem with this system. Um, because what I was saying to them is, look, you're asking me to provide anger management treatment for these guys who you believe are violent and are a threat to the children. I just interviewed these guys and I've interviewed the, the, the wives. And what the wives are telling, never mind the guys, what the wives are telling me is that they have their own anger management problems. They're having trouble dealing with the kids. Sometimes they hit the kids. Sometimes they scream at the kids. And also they're violent towards their partners. And furthermore, they seem to be almost flippant about the way they discuss this. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, well, I can hit them because, you know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a woman. I mean, some of them actually said that. So um, I'm just telling you, this is how I got started in doing research. Because prior to that, I was just a clinical social worker, very happy to conduct these groups. But it, it became very apparent to me way back in the 1990s that there was something wrong. I never got referrals for women from for, for uh, anger management women's group ever. Mm, right. So when I when I pointed this out to the um, at this meeting, when I pointed this out, like, why, why aren't I getting women to be referred to the anger management program? Their response was to shut down the, uh, the uh, shut down the meeting. Wow. And they dissolve they dissolve the the local domestic violence council because I had a lot of people on my side who were agreeing with me. Right. And it created such a schism that uh, rather than continue with this inherent conflict amongst different factions, the uh, powers that be decided to to uh, dissolve the uh, the local domestic violence <laughs> council. So this is how I got uh, interested in this topic. And since then, I've continued to do groups. Now, most of, most of what I do is forensic work. I testify as an expert witness in criminal as well as family law cases. And along the way, I've, I've been doing a lot of research. I've published many books and articles. Uh, I can't say that the family, family law and domestic violence is my main area of expertise, but it's one of them. It's something I've done a lot of thinking about, done a lot of research on. Uh, I don't know if you've read any of my articles. I did a, about 10 years ago, some colleagues and I did a, a study where we uh, put together a questionnaire uh, on domestic violence knowledge, and we administered it to mental health professionals, mostly uh, people that worked in the family court system. So we administered this questionnaire, a 10-item quiz on domestic violence facts based on the latest research. We administered the questionnaire to uh, several hundred subjects. We did some of it online. Some of it was at an AFCC conference, you know, the AF AFCC organization in San Francisco back in the 2000s, late 2000s, I believe. Uh, so family court mediators, evaluators, attorneys, and judges. And then we had a comparison group of students, first, first year freshmen, 17 and 18 year olds at a university. And we found that um, overall, uh, the correct the average number of correct answers was, was about 3.5 out of 10. Mm -hmm. And what was striking is that the family court professionals did, did not perform significantly better than the students. So think about that. Family court professionals, licensed clinical social workers, PhDs, clinical psychologists, judges who have the power to decide where children should, should be living at, uh, all these individuals scored no better, no, not significantly better than a than a 17 or 18 year old 
college student with no training whatsoever in domestic violence. And the second thing, not only do we do we find that the there's low scores, but uh, but more importantly, the low scores were skewed in a direction that belied their gender bias. Uh, in other words, uh, these are multiple choice questions. If you look at the study, you'll see what I mean. The questions were asked in such a way uh, that uh, one could say that uh, the frequency of say. Uh, sexual abuse or physical abuse or who initiates the violence or what's the motivator uh, could be in a female direction, a male direction, or somewhere in the middle. And when, and the errors that they made when they were in error was always in a female direction. They always overestimated uh, the amount of violence against women and underestimated the amount of violence uh, against men. So not only it's, it's not that they were guessing also we had uh, out of the, uh, in the multiple choice uh, uh, choices, uh, one of them was, I don't know. Very few of them said, I don't know. Okay, so it, so we showed that it wasn't that they, they didn't know. They thought they knew, and they were wrong in, in a consistent way. In other words, they were just assuming that domestic violence is something that happens to women. Uh, and so... Um, and ever since then, I've pursued this matter. I've, I've done a lot more research on it, uh, you know, published a number of book chapters and um, articles on this. And um, right now I'm editing a new book and it's going to have uh, three chapters that focus on domestic violence in, uh, in, ch in child custody cases. So um, where, where I'm at now in terms of research is I think the most exciting research right now uh, I, as far as I'm concerned, with respect to the family court and domestic violence, is in terms of uh, issue of uh, of course of control. So, um, over the years, uh, as I've just explained, uh, there's been a gender bias in the family court system, at least here in, in Northern California. Now, I've been I, I've he heard anecdotally that in some states, the judges favor the dads. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I can't say for sure. I can tell you that in the San Francisco Bay Area, the judges are reasonably fair to dad's rights compared to some of the horror stories I've heard about other states. But all I can say is uh, what I know, what I've experienced, and what I've, what I've researched. Um, but one of, the, one, of the, one of the truisms, uh, or assumed truisms, it, it, we call the gender paradigm, is this assumption that domestic violence is about female victims and male perpetrators. So over the years, the gender paradigm adherents have tried to make us believe that only men are violent physically. Uh, and when women are violent, it's in self-defense. That has morphed. That has changed. There's been overwhelming amount of evidence over the years to show otherwise. And even organizations like AFCC and uh, judicial councils around the country are admitting that women can be violent as well. They also initiate the violence. But the, the so-called gender paradigm has morphed now to where the new, uh, the, the new accepted line is that, um, that well, women can be violent, but they're not, they're not controlling, or they're not as controlling as men, which, which of course is nonsense. If you're a researcher, you know this is absolute nonsense, but this is where we are. So uh, in California, uh, last year or two years ago, a new law was, was uh was uh, passed and uh, was passed by the legislature and signed by the governor 
that would allow allow um, litigants in the family court system to more easily get restraining orders based on a, a presumption that the partner was exercising coercive control. So it, you can get a restraining order not only, not just based on threats of physical violence or actual physical violence and actual fear of violence, but uh, if you could show that the other person has been doing doing coercive things like um, spying on you or um, you know making veiled threats or trying to control the money and so forth. So, um, and this really got my attention because to me that that's a slippery slope. It's very very hard. It's hard to prove that there's been physical violence when domestic violence is a family matter, and it's often not not observed by anyone. There are often no witnesses. It's it's often he said, she said. But now, if you're throwing in psychological abuse into the mix, um, nothing wrong per se about including psychological abuse as one of those considerations, because children can be really affected if the parents are. You know, a dad who is extremely controlling of mom is a terrible role model. Uh, his behavior is not only affecting mom psychologically, but affecting the kids indirectly by uh, causing mom distress. It, 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 it potentially lowers mom's ability to, 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 to parent the children and to cope. So uh, theoretically, it, I think it's a good thing that, that we're asked to look at not just physical aggression in relationships, but also psychological abuse. But the research shows that it's really, um, th there's a big difference between actual psychological abuse and simple arguments. And, and as a forensic a social worker, and having worked in a lot of these cases, I can tell you that much of the time, a plaintiff will accuse, and it's almost always women who do so, uh, men do it too, but uh, in my experience, it's been mostly women who will say he's highly controlling. He's engaged in controlling course of violence. The attorneys know how to uh, get their clients to frame this so that it meets it 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 meets up with uh, the the legal requirements for these definitions, and they used terms that were initially um, advanced by a guy by the name of Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson came up with this typology of domestic violence where he separated uh, regular couples conflict that escalates. He calls that situational couples violence versus true battering, what he calls controlling coercive violence, and uh, which is reasonably true. I mean, it is a distinction that can be made. The problem is that everyone's trying to fit any kind of argument uh, between a man and a wife. If the husband says, I don't want you going to Tahiti, it, it's going to cost us too much money. And she says, you know, I want to be with my sisters. And he goes, well, we can't afford it. Then he's controlling her. So you, I, I run into this all the time. I get these cases where, and sometimes these cases were, are where I'm asked to work with the, the, the attorney for the, the female plaintiff. And I always before I take on a case, I always make sure to tell them that, well, I can only uh, help you if, you if you have a strong case, you know, and I'd say half the time uh, I have to say to them, well, you know, you have a weak case. You're you're claiming uh, your client is claiming that the husband is highly controlling. But in, in reality, I'm not seeing that he's not threatening to kill her. He's not like threatening to take the money. He, he makes some threats like, you know, 
if you um, if you if you buy a new car, we can't afford. I'm gonna have to cut up the credit cards. Well, that's just good fiscal management, as far as I'm concerned. It's limit setting, right? I'm not even. I'm not exaggerating. I'm. I'm telling you that I get a lot of cases like that, and so, um, so, I've thought a lot about how to deal with that. On the one hand, we don't want kids exposed uh, to an environment where either parent is either physically or psychologically abusive to the other parent. Uh, I don't want to minimize the the impact that psychological abuse does have, and coercive control. The problem is that it's been. Uh, it's it's been um, the the findings have been twisted in such a way that most people now believe that it's only men that can engage in c- controlling a course of violence. So, uh, so my part of my job as a forensic uh, expert witness is to clar- clarify these things. Um, you know, what I'll point out is that there is one area where men clearly have an advantage is because of their size and strength. Men are on on average better able to back up their threats and their controlling behaviors with physical violence. So uh, men and women are just as likely to try to control one another. Women are just as controlling as men on every measure that's ever been ever been uh, used. Uh, modern measures that you know with construct validity and uh, and a conversion validity that shown over and over again. Women uh, are just as jealous, just as possessive, just they make the same kind of threats. Um, they carry out the threats. The main difference is that men are at, at an extreme level where uh, uh, men are much more dangerous. That's why you have three quarters of intimate partner homicide victims are women, right? So at high levels where the guy really loses it, the guy is more dangerous. Men are just more dangerous in general. Um, so it's not that women aren't controlling or not trying to control. They're just as malevolent or can be as men. It's just that they're not physically able to to uh, to enforce their will the way some men can. The problem is that that kind of violence, that extreme level of violence, which we sometimes call intimate terrorism, is very, very small proportion of the cases that are out there. Very, very small proportion. But the attorneys frame it as though every single case is like that. So every woman who, who who's wants custody of the children, whose husband may have grabbed her you know, three years ago, is a victim of controlling course of violence. And that's this is the problem. It's, the problem isn't that women aren't more at, in danger of being killed or severely injured. We know that. The problem is that the statistics are manipulated to, show, to, to try to show that all women are experiencing this, right? What's the new research that I, I find it really be exciting is uh, research. Some research has been done by um, Jennifer Harmon and, and her colleagues showing Edward Crook uh, showing that really uh, if, if you think of domestic violence as on the same continuum as child abuse and parental alienation, then it sort of kind of clears the air because we have this unnecessary uh, division amongst family court experts, um, where on one side, uh, the, you know, the, the people that are trying to help dads get, get, uh, custody of their children are going to emphasize how much, how much there's parental alienation going on. 
And on the other side, uh, those the better women's activists will say, well, the real problem is these men are violent and they're using parental alienation claims just as a diversion, as a way to get custody of the kids when they're really, in fact, violent. Well, what we're what we're finding with Jennifer and I and others are finding is that, in fact, we're all talking about the same thing. We're talking about uh, the extent to which parents want to manipulate the system and and to control their partners in order to get their kids. It's really that simple. You know, uh, wanting to, uh, the parental instinct is a very, very strong instinct in human beings. One that, along with the self-preservation instinct, it's one of the strongest instincts we have. We've heard over and over again how there just is not balance uh, within the family court system and how the conflict that's created in family court often makes these situations worse. And and it certainly doesn't help when the lawyers uh, will take a uh, situation which, you know, may be isolated or, uh, you know, is the first time that something's happened. And then they, they want to, you know, obviously use that to their advantage. They try and make it as big of a deal as possible. But, um, I mean, in, in you know, you've been studying this stuff for a long time. Um, you know, how do we how do we get the system to be more balanced? How do we get the system to be more fair? Um, and, you know, and what's your take on on how things have been trending? Well, uh, I mean, I would say one uh, one of the key uh, key uh, changes that's going to have to be made is it's with education. We need to we need to educate uh, the all these players in the family court system. I've been trying to do that. Uh, my, you know, I, I'm I'm amazed at how incredibly ignorant a lot of attorneys are about uh, domestic violence. And attorneys um, are among the most open 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 minded people because they have no. I mean, they, they just need to win cases. So, you know, they have no ideological axe to grind. Yeah. So I find them refreshingly open minded, but. It's amazing to me how, I mean, they pay me a lot of money to just basically explain to them some simple facts. So, you know, one thing we've seen in the family court system is that, you know, there's a, uh, a very large reward for, um, you know, the outcome of these cases, right? And there's, there's relatively um, little penalty, if any, to uh, say whatever you need to do to get that reward, right? Uh, yeah. and, and we're talking about both males and females here. And so, I, I think we've seen across the country there's there's very little uh, effort within the court system to penalize people who lie, um, who make false claims, those sorts of things. And um, how does that play into you know the family violence? And I mean, is it a cause of family violence? Is it something that could reduce uh, family violence if courts were to you know take the responsibility and and keep uh, litigants honest uh, per se? What's your take on that? Well, yeah, I. I... Yes, of course, that would be great. But there's a couple of problems here. Um, uh, defining domestic violence and figure out who's lying, who's telling the truth is really problematic. So how's the court going to determine that someone is deliberately lying as opposed to maybe just exaggerating? Uh, that's a problem in itself. Um, but earlier I was I was telling you that this new conception of uh, of, uh, to, of psychological aggression, physical aggression against partners, aggression towards the children, and uh, parental alienation should all be considered part of what we call family abuse. So in, in that sense, 
uh, there's something called legal and administrative abuse, LA for short. Legal and administrative abuse is a form of coercive control that um, that involves um, calling the police to get somebody in trouble. It can include threatening to report someone to welfare or to have them deported. It's where you use the legal system in a way to get an advantage over your partner. And so um, one of the first organizations to identify controlling behaviors by men was the uh, Domestic Abuse Intervention Project in Duluth, Minnesota. These are the people that came up with the Duluth model of treatment, if you've heard of that, and the power and control wheel. And if you've ever seen the power and control wheel, it visually, it visually shows different ways that men control their partners. One of the, one of the little pie, uh, pieces of pie on the pie chart is uh, using children and using the, uh, the system, right? So th we've battered women's advocates for many, 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 many years have pointed out how men are able to use the system. Well, women use the system. Interestingly, when men complain in court that their the mother is abusing the system, they're they're accused of of, of uh, being in denial, but they're not. I mean, women abuse the system just the way men do. Uh, I don't know if women abuse the system more. They might. One theory is that they abuse the system more because the system is sort of geared to believe them. So that's a I think that's a hypothesis that needs to be tested out, but we can at least agree that both males and females can abuse the system. So, uh, but if we think of legal and administrative abuse as part of con controlling coercive abuse, then it can be taken more seriously. What I'm saying is this: the, the system is primed right now, especially right now, because of the efforts of better women's advocates to take seriously psychological abuse coercive controlling behaviors by men, if we can show that women do the same things and that legal administrative abuse is part of that coercive control, then perhaps, um, uh, you know, anyone that's using that will be held accountable. I think that's one way to, to that's my, in my opinion, that's probably the best way to handle it. It's like, well, okay, um, instead of, you know, we agree, we agree, men can be very controlling. We agree with the power and control wheel. But here's some research showing that women do the same thing. And here's some more research showing that men and women also use the legal system as a way of controlling one another. And I think that that would be more successful. And uh, so we take existing sort of existing uh, op opinions and assumptions about, about domestic violence and then expand on them and become more inclusive as opposed to opposing uh, uh, claims that all dads are violent with, well, moms are just uh, alienating. That's not a good counter. It's, it, it guarantees constant political fighting that will never end. So ultimately, we want to marginalize the, the crazies, the, 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 the insane, uh, some of those insane people that, uh, you know, make statements like women aren't controlling, just insane statements like that. We want to marginalize them to the point where they become laughing stocks and are just no, tr not even given any serious consideration as opposed to uh, right now where they're given complete consideration. I go in, in when I do forensic work, uh, I, I often will, will be able to read the reports by the expert on the other side. Unbelievable. 
the experts on so-called experts on domestic violence will cite studies from 40 years ago that I know have been disproved long since. And the attorneys and the judges don't know the difference. They don't know. I mean, if I wasn't around to point out that this is bogus or that they, these studies are either uh, no longer uh, you know, relevant or the, the, the findings were taken out of context or otherwise manipulated, then no one would know. So <laughs> uh, we need to have more educated uh, experts like myself. Uh, a lot of us are in academia. I'm not in academia. But most of the people that are knowledgeable about domestic violence are in academia, unfortunately, so they don't necessarily always have access to the court system. And um, I, I, I have talked to uh, numerous highly respected individuals in the family court system, experts, I'm not going to mention names, but experts who have been writing about this for years and years. And... Um, you know, I think they're just as concerned. I mean, some of them are more likely to err on the side of the battered women's perspective. But even the more, even some of those individuals really are trying to, you know, do what's right for, for children. And they're open to learning. Um, politics keeps them sometimes from saying what they really want to say. You know, so I go to these conferences and there's a lot of hedging around, you know, uh, very few people are as, as direct about as I am. Um, but I think overall it's getting better. I, I think it's getting better in the last, since the mid 1990s, I think, I think the information is getting out there. So uh, I think things are getting better, but I think, I, I don't know how, how much better it's going to, it's going to be. Well, and so if, if somebody is facing uh, this sort of issue where they're being, you know, falsely accused or maybe things are blown out of proportion, uh, what's your advice? What, what can they do? Is, is the best thing for their attorney to find an expert like you to, to come yeah. onto the case? Uh, you know, what, what's your general advice there? Yeah, yes. Uh, they should find an expert like me. Um, there's a, a website that I established many years ago uh, domesticviolenceresearch.org, domesticviolenceresearch.org. Um, and I established that website for the express purpose of making available uh, the most re recent research on domestic violence. So there's thousands of pages of research that's available. And also I have a list of about 50 or 60 domestic violence experts around the country who are very knowledgeable about domestic violence. Not all of them um, do expert witness work, but many of them do. So if somebody is looking for an expert witness uh, on domestic violence, they can certainly go to, um, they can go to, one, one thing they can do is they can go to uh, attorney directories. Um, there are like S-E-A-K, S-E-A-K, SEEK, or ALM or attorney directories where, where an individual can find experts that uh, like myself, but that's one way to try to get an expert. Um, most of the experts out there are going to take the, the, the gender paradigm view, but not all of them. They may, uh, they may do that because they mostly get better women as clients, but some of them may be very open to working with someone who's, who's falsely accused. The people at uh, Domestic Violence 
research.org, those individuals, uh, I feel safe recommending them because they are very knowledgeable about domestic violence. So if to the extent that they're doing forensic work, it might be very helpful. Well, we're about out of time. Uh, I really want to thank you for coming on today. And uh, can you tell us, uh, is there a place where people can reach you at? Uh, do you have a website and social media, that sort of stuff? Well, I'm not on social media. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I, you can go to my website, johnhamel.net, J-O-H-N-H-A-M, as in Mary, E-L, johnhamel.net. Um, I've got some satellite websites. I mentioned one of them, uh, domesticviolenceresearch.org. A couple of other websites. I have uh, online anger management classes. If you've been court referred to do an anger management class and you can do it online. I have those at a reasonable price. I have trainings for professionals uh, that are also online. And, uh, and but if, if you're if you're wanting to just get some information from me, you have some questions or you'd like uh, some journal articles uh, or book chapters on a particular topic of interest to you, I'll, I'll send them to you for free. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we look forward to reading more about your book uh, here in the future. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. Now that was recorded on video. So if you want to go ahead and watch the video, you can find the link in the show notes. It's on YouTube. And if you have any questions, you can contact National Parents Organization at sharedparenting.org. Don't forget to like National Parents Organization on social media. Just go ahead and do a Facebook search for National Parents Organization and smash the like button. You're also going to find several Facebook pages for different state chapters, so go ahead and like those pages as well. And don't forget, you can also follow National Parents Organization on Twitter or LinkedIn. The links to those social media sites are on the sharedparenting.org website. If you're passionate about shared parenting, the best thing you can do is get involved. And the best way to do that is by contacting your state chapter. If you head over to the sharedparenting.org website, you can find the links to your state chapter and then contact them directly to take action and volunteer. We could also use your help with donations. National Parents Organization is a nationally recognized nonprofit registered in Massachusetts. To donate, visit sharedparenting.org and click the Take Action and then Donate. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Tell us what you think on social media or by going to the sharedparenting.org website and sending us a message. Fill out that contact form and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear about what you think about the show or what you want to hear on the show, those sorts of things. So go ahead and, and send us a message. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Chris Batchelor. Thanks for listening, and together we can help bring shared parenting nationwide. <laughs>